This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. I'm Liz, the Chief Mom Officer, and when I'm not busy being the breadwinner of my family of five, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and now that it's November, I think it's time for a Thanksgiving cornucopia of topics. On our roundtable today, we'll talk about everything from the new and improved 5% rule way better than the old 4% rule, the bipartisan plan to push required minimum IRA distributions to 75, and new college savings plan ranking systems from Morningstar. To help us dig into this Friday feast, we welcome from Marinantha Financial, CFP Michael Anderson, and from the Afford Anything podcast, Paula Pant. And last but not least, we'll get some help from the original guy, OG. Plus, as we near the holidays, how do you avoid a holiday hangover? We'll talk about the reopening of our Making Money Easy course with budget guru Belinda Rosenblum. That's not a feast yet, you say? Well, I'll also let you feast your ears on today's Magnify Money Call. And, of course, I'll throw in some sports-themed money trivia. Sound good? Yeah, you're going to be stuffed. And now, a guy scouring the internet for the next great story, it's Joe Salcihan. And I think we got a bunch of great stories today for you. Hey, everybody, welcome to Friday, or Fry-yay, as mom says here in the basement. I am Joe Salcihan, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, the man, the myth, the legend, who's bringing the Friday, it's OG. Hey, so how about all those crazy election results, huh? Can we talk about the politics? I mean, who would have thought that 
Just gonna just gonna leave that one alone, my friend. Okay. Right. We don't do that here. I'm sorry. I'd love to talk about that. But we got better stuff to talk about, like the five percent rule. Come Thank on, man. God. Oh yes. yes, that's all we need. <laughs> the controversy. The nerd, <laughs> the, the nerd controversy. <laughs> he said it's five percent now. So. <laughs> we're we're gonna talk about oh. that and that voice you hear. From an undisclosed location, or is it disclosed yet? Have you disclosed yet where the hell you are? Paula? I have not not yet disclosed it. No, no, I am still broadcasting from an undisclosed location. Yes, we we know, but we're not allowed to say. We've already had to sign the non disclosure agreement. We'd have to pay tons of all all five dollars this podcast makes. We'd have to forfeit to afford anything if we tell. But but, uh, <laughs> but you are in a place where you know about the five percent rule, though. That's pretty exciting. Uh- I certainly do. The whole, the controversy, is it four? Is it 4.5? Is it five? Gloves are coming off. This is the only topic that people are talking about this week. You know, spreadsheets were going crazy all week long. Like on <laughs> Tuesday, they're like, honey, I don't have time to vote. I got to redo my spreadsheet. <laughs> it's, a, it's a voter conspiracy. They did it on purpose. And the man, the myth, the legend backed with us again from Maranatha Financial. And I, I rip that name up every time I say it. Michael Anderson's back. Dude, it's about time we got you back. So nice to be here. What a treat. Great to see you guys. <laughs> and, and have your spreadsheets been all ripped up? Do you get calls from clients like nonstop? What am I going to do now that it's a 5% rule? I have not got one of those phone calls. I'm amazed most people don't know about the 5% rule or 4% rule, 3% rule, whatever you want to call it. They don't even know what it is. Not on this show, man. That's like the hottest topic here today. You kidding me? I'm sure that we're going to have listenership spike from two listeners to six because we're talking about the 5% rule today, Michael, and the fact that you're on. So tell everybody a little bit about what you do. So you're a financial planner in Ventura, California. That's right. Southern California Ventura, uh, certified financial planner since 2010. I've had that designation and I'm real proud of that designation. It's a small financial planning firm is what my firm is, Maranatha Financial. And we help uh, individuals near retirement, uh, planning for retirement or in their 20s and 30s, getting ready to retire at some point down the road. So happy to work with folks figuring that stuff out. And you also do some podcasting yourself as well, besides hanging out with us, you know. We got a little show, the Smart People Money Show, I tried to name it, and uh, we're just trying to talk about money and try and just hopefully share some insight for things that people are thinking about with with regards to their money, kind of like what you guys do here, you know, but you guys have a lot more fun. I'll give you that. (laughs) We do have fun. We don't get anything done. We will today because you're here, but we certainly try to entertain ourselves and bring people with us. Well, I'm glad you're here with us. We got Michael here. We got Paula here. We got OG here. Let's talk. Let's nerd out, not just about the 5% rule, but we've got a few headlines that I'd like to get all your opinions on. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first piece uh, comes to us from MarketWatch. It's written by Brett Ahrens. And uh, it's an opinion piece. Well, it's not really an opinion piece. It's what happened. The inventor of the 4% rule just changed it. Our friend Johnny in uh, New York. Remember meeting Johnny in New York, OG, when we had our Manhattan hangout? Prior to all of the nonsense. Yeah, back How pre-COVID. How did we escape that, by the way? Like, we were, like, literally licking everything in New York City. I'd say that was, like, a month before, of, wasn't uh, it? That was, like, early February. It was the end of January, 1st, 1st of February. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
Maybe it was the original super spreader event. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> You'll never prove it, world. You'll never prove it that, that we did that. But Johnny was nice. Stacking Benjamin's meetup. Johnny was nice enough to make a reservation after our meetup, and a few of us got to go out and have some fun. But anyway, he was one of many people that sent this to us, and of course, we couldn't not see it. We were looking at this too. But uh, Bill Bengen says the now iconic rule was always treated too simplistically. He writes, it's been more than 25 years since Bill Bangan, a financial advisor in Southern California, created the so-called 4% rule. That's the principle that if you want to make sure your retirement savings last at least as long as you do, you should budget to spend no more than 4% of the balance in the first year and then just adjust the amount every year in line with inflation. Bangan called his rule safe max, the maximum amount you could withdraw each rule and stay safe. Well, since his article appeared in the journal Financial Planning back in 1994, the 4% rule has suffered the fate usually reserved for religious doctrines, alternately cited as revealed truth, uh, denounced as heresy, or subject to various forms of reformation. Let me ask you this. Let's talk about the 4% rule, guys, for a second before we talk about the change to the 5% rule. Michael, do you see it as a as a heresy, the truth, that, like are all of your financial plans based on the 4% rule? No, no, they're not. You know, I run into people a lot actually that have, they have no beneficiaries and they have this money they want to use and they're wondering if the, this 4% rule applies to them or could they bump it up a little bit more because they don't want to reserve any of their principal. They want to use it and not be left with a dime when they die. So is it reasonable for them to take out more? And certainly I would say, yeah. So we try and figure that out and come up with a number that's reasonable for them. And, but it's all comes back to cash flow. It's all, this whole thing is all about cash flow in retirement. So you have to figure out what you need. Is there a gap? Where's it going to come from? That's my take. Are, are, are you saying it should be more personalized than just a rule of thumb? Is that what you're trying to say? That's crazy <laughs> I think talk. That is what I'm trying to say. And all these words, all these words. <laughs> Paul, how have you felt about the 4% rule before this big revelation? <laughs> well, the thing that is appealing about the 4% rule is that it's it's a heuristic. It's quick back of the envelope math that a person can use, a person can do in their head to very quickly take a shortcut to figure out whether or not they're on track. The problem is when people mistake heuristics for gospel. It was never meant, as Bill Bengen says, to be taken as the final word. It was only ever meant to be a rule of thumb calculated off of a worst case scenario. And so the issue that arises is when people misuse a rule of thumb as that final word. You see this happen in the rental property investing world as well with the 1% rule, yeah. which is this, yeah, that rule that a property should rent, its gross monthly rent should be at least 1% of the purchase price. That's just a very, very crude rule of thumb, nothing more, but people adhere to it with a fervor that is unwarranted. Oh, gee, now they change it to the 5% rule. Did that just rock your world? Did that change everything for your whole financial planning practice? You got to rewrite well, the book yet. It actually made it so that I can, I was going to turn in my retirement papers today. <laughs> Cause you couldn't do it on four, I but on five, on four, you can make it work. Five, I'm good. Yeah. But this, this is very seriously, OG. This is the opposite of what most people thought, right? You'd see most financial planners say 4% is a little aggressive. It's better if you can use like a 3% rule. Well, like Mike said, I think the biggest thing is whether or not you have a clear sense of what you want the outcome to be on the back end. You know, we're starting to see financial plans now that are, we're starting to do them. And I know other firms are as well, where, where, you know, you're not just looking at normal 
life expectancy numbers. I was working through one in the last week and for this regular couple, it's 92 and 94. But my grandfather was born in 1919 and he lived to be 97. So how, how old are the people going to be living for the people that were born 70 years after my grandfather in 1980 or in 1970 or 1990? There's a really good chance that they'll see 100. They'll see at 110. And you're starting to see even you know, where this first kind of came up, I think, is in the life insurance market. And Joe, you remember this. Insurance always used to endow at 100. Remember that? Yeah. And now you that doesn't exist. It's all now 120. It's like no one lives that long, but they keep on putting that benchmark out there that that much further. So I'll find a way. Well, I'm living to 140. So I'm going to you know, make whatever. sure. But, I want that life insurance to pay me some money. You're going to be the guy. You're like, I knew I would cash out, <laughs> cash right. us out. Ferrari time. <laughs> uh, so if you're single with no dependents and you go, hey, just plan for me to live to be 100. I'm good with that. And that means that you can run that thing at five, six, seven percent distribution. Do it. But if you've got a spouse or you've got some some plans of legacy planning, I think it's rather foolish to look at at your investment accounts as this static thing that's going to run out at a certain date. And then if you combine that, I think the other component of this, which maybe you're going to get to, is this is assuming that you've got a pretty decent weighting toward equities. If you're going to combine this with an investment allocation that's super conservative, it doesn't work that way. So you got to, you know, you got to kind of understand what's going into it. But long and the short of it is, yes, it's a rule of thumb. I'll take issue with with Paula's assumption that people can do this mentally. I've never known anyone to be able to divide by 0.04 in their brain. <laughs> but um, I'll give you an out. You can multiply by 25. That's just as easy. But nevertheless, it's meant to be just kind of a starting point and and something for podcasters to talk about. Have so. you met Paula Pant? She can divide by 0.04. Okay. <laughs> she does it regularly. She, she's so good, she can divide by 0. 04. Whoa. Bam. <laughs> Drop the Feels. mic. on. That's like her favorite bar trick. It's the end of the night. Everybody's thinking about going home. Paula wants to hang out. Let me show you guys this. Check this out. She blows minds. It's incredible. It's amazing. I can tell you you're safe withdrawal rate. <laughs> and they're like, Paula, I'm safely withdrawing from this conversation. Yeah. By the way, this, uh, his calculations are based on uh, 30% of your money in the S&P 500, 20% in U.S. small caps and 50% in intermediate treasury bonds. And he says that it can be from 7 to 13% could be your withdrawal rate. So, Michael, to your point, for most people, you probably can go way above this 5% number. Yeah, I think the allocation really matters, especially when you're doing projections that are long-term. I mean, the, the thing is, I, I find a lot of people don't think much about this. I think your listeners are in a different category because they are thinking about this. They are listening. There's a lot of your listeners that are that I would say are, are let's say they're B plus, A minus financially, but they want that A plus retirement. So they're listening. They're trying to learn. And uh, and that's it. This is, this is exactly what it comes down to is understanding your allocation and your distribution and, and how that's going to work for you. I don't know what the answer is, but I think everyone has to look at it. And, and if you're more into your equities, then you're going to do better long term. If your money, if you're taking out 5%, but you're earning 5%, what's happening to the principal? You're going to be fine. So, I mean, if you're taking out eight, but you're only earning two, it's going to be gone. That's not good math. That's junk math, right? Uh, so this change from 4% rule to 5% rule, then Michael, final word, does this change anything for you? 
It changes nothing. It Paul, changes nothing. Paula, what about for you? Absolutely nothing. OG? Oh, yeah. Let me expand on it a little bit more. Um, <laughs> no. All right. No, I, in fact, I will continue to use the 4% rule because I'm that kind of rebel. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, no. Bill Screw Bangin. you, Nobel Prize winning economist. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> it's, that, that was, he was saying that to his parents when he was uh, like 11. Oh, yeah. I'm sticking Except my parents were, were not Nobel Prize winning economists. <laughs> our, our next piece comes to us from Investment News. Actually, the next couple are going to, which is an industry rag for people in finance, written by Mark Schaff Jr. We said we're not going to talk about the election. We are not also going to talk politics, but this is interesting because it's bipartisan. The headline here that Mark writes is bipartisan retirement bill would increase Require minimum distribution age all the way up to age 75. Uh, Mark writes, bipartisan leaders of the House Tax Writing Committee introduced an expansive retirement savings bill a couple of weeks ago that would allow people to save longer and set aside more money for retirement and expand automatic enrollment and company retirement plans. The piece of this, guys, I want to talk about is required minimum distributions going all the way up to 75. I think Michael, for clients of years that are in retirement, that, that could be some big news for some people. I think that's huge news. I think this is going to be fantastic if this actually passes because, you know, the, the idea that you can wait to take out that money is just going to enhance people's growth. And so many people do not want to take their money out. They're required to, so they do, but they really don't want to. I see that often. I think this is going to be a real win for a lot of people uh, moving this RMD level a few years later. Yeah. Uh, OG, how about in your practice? Big news? Yeah, I don't think this will ever pass. You don't think, but, but, I mean, but it's bipartisan. I oh, mean, well, in that case, you finally have something here that both sides of the aisle apparently like. I can't understand how they would like it. I mean, the whole idea is to get tax revenue now, right? What, what's, what's the benefit of kicking the can down the road three more years? I wonder what the trade off is. When, when you get to the point where you're, taking money out of your distribution because you are required to do it. That's the point at which you're frustrated. You know, that's the point when you're like, darn it, I wish that I would still be able to defer this a little bit for, for the compounding effect. If you need the money before 72 or 75, you're able to take it out. It does. It, it really only affects a really small subset of people. The people who, you know, work with advisors, people that listen to this show are going to be those people. But the vast majority of, of Americans, remember, have 25 grand saved for retirement, right? So they're not worried about the minimum distribution. They're worried about what's the maximum distribution and how long is it going to last back to our, you know, our 13% distribution rule. Are you saying there's somebody out there panicking as we bring this up going, whoa, I can't get my money till I'm 75? What are you and talking that's about? a more succinct way of saying what I was trying to say, which is, you know, you don't have to wait until 75. You're, you're eligible to take money when you want. But, Burn it uh, when you're yeah. young. That's that's the OG way right there. Buy that buy that Ferrari. Live uh, fast, die hard. No? That sounds like that sounds like a movie. <laughs> it does. <laughs> that could be a movie. Did you see speaking of die hard, did you see the the die hard commercial that came out with Bruce Willis and I'm going, there's a new die hard. This is going to be awesome. And it was for a stupid car battery. <laughs> I saw everything about it and I didn't see the I didn't see the commercial. Paula, you probably clearly saw the commercial. I had not seen the commercial. What? Um, I know it's shocking. Shocking. <laughs> the Christmas movie Die Hard. There's a Christmas movie. 
Well, she might have seen the There's actual a movie. Christmas movie? It <laughs> is a Christmas movie. She, yeah. d- I wasn't asking her about the actual movie, OG, but I will now because we have to go there. But but I was talking about the commercial. Y- you saw the movie Die Hard, though, didn't you, Paula? No, no. Oh, my. Never saw. <laughs> Walking on the Broken Glass? With no Yippee-ki-yay. Uh, oh, is that where that quote comes from? I've heard people Mother say that. trucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've heard that quote. I've heard uh, I've heard people reference that line, but no, I've never seen the movie. You y- say it all the time. Yippee ki yay, Paula! <laughs> I've also never seen Rocky. While we're making lists of things I've never seen, never seen uh, Bambi. Yeah, it's kind of sad in the middle. Yeah, yeah, bad stuff happens in Bambi. <laughs> yes, we're in that time of year too when Mama uh, eats a bullet. Yeah, we're seeing that happen all over uh, uh, forest land, all over the place. Hey, um, Paula. Back to the money talk. Yes. Yes. Let's swing back from Bambi and instead talk about requirement of distributions. Paula, you're not a financial planner, but you hang out with money nerds. (laughs) But I play one on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but but this requirement of distribution move, Michael and OG seem like this this could be exciting news. Uh, How about for you? I think it's a great idea. I mean, it makes sense given that... People are living longer. People are retiring. They're staying healthy longer. And so many people who choose to work are retiring later. And there, there are a lot of professionals in particular who, who choose to work into their 70s. So it just makes sense that as, as the workplace becomes more gray, that there would be an extension in the age at which RMDs are I'm trying to avoid saying RMDs are required because that's uh, um, contradictory or or redundant. It's redundant. redundant. Right. It's redundant. From the department of the redundancy department. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But but you know what I'm what I'm saying. A clunky way of saying before it makes sense that RMDs should not be mandatory until later in life, given that the workplace is graying. There's another piece of this, Michael, I wanted to ask you about, which is about this idea of automatic enrollment. We've seen is as companies have turned from not having automatic enrollment to having automatic enrollment, you're seeing, you know, more people save for retirement, but you're also seeing more people access their 401k early, right? Because of emergencies, they, I don't know, they don't know how to save. I mean, whatever it might be. Do you like this idea of expanding automatic enrollment into retirement plans for people? Enrollment, I love the idea of expanding that. Enrollment in 401k programs should be opt out, not opt in. Currently, they make you require, they require you to opt in if you want it. It should be opt out if you don't want it. We're, we're, we're at a pandemic level of retirement savings where people need to save and they just aren't. So I love the idea of expanding this. I really do. There's a few more things in the article that were interesting. The idea that there could be additional catch up for people over 60 that want to save more, they would allow them to save additional funds, and that could be very beneficial. And then also a tax credit that encourages people in the lower and middle incomes to save even more as well. So there's some good stuff I like. I don't know if it's going to pass or not. I'm not a politician, but I just I really like what I'm seeing in the article. The tax credit piece, Michael, I like. My question for all three of you guys, though, is that really the problem? Like, are, like are people go, oh, there's a tax credit. I can finally save money into my retirement plan. I don't feel like the tax credit, as nice as it is, is really going to do anything. Or, or, or do you guys disagree, Paula? It will to for a certain subset of people. You know, for, for people who truly who pay attention to that and who are hyper tax optimizers, yeah, 
it'll probably do something. Hypertext optimizers. Can we count those people on one hand? <laughs> uh, the, there are a lot of the people who are listening to this show. You know, <laughs> good, good, people, good. people who self-select as those who listen to personal finance podcasts. Once again, back to counting people on one hand. There, there, <laughs> there, there it is. People hanging out with us. Uh, OG, how about you? What about me? Tax credit. We need it. Oh, yeah. No, it doesn't matter. It's fluff. Because like you said, like the people who are in those lower and middle income brackets anyway, I'm sure they want to save. It's not the tax credit that's going to make them save. It's the fact that everything else is the fact that they're everything else costs so gosh darn much that there's not a lot extra to save. It's a struggle, but that does put money back in people's pocket though. You know what I mean? So yeah, it, it, yeah. if it you're doing it ultimately puts money back in their pocket. And if somebody does the math uh, to Paula's point, the super so tax, tax optimizer credit and tax deferral tax, and cre- tax deduction, tax credit and tax deferral. Yeah. It's like better than an HSA. Yeah, I have to say, I think it'll move the needle big time, actually. You do think so? I think it'll move the needle big time. You're not going to get everybody. You're not going to get nine out of 10 people doing this, but you might get, you know, two to four people out of 10. You get two out of 10. That's a big number, Michael. It is a big number. I think it's going to move the needle big time. I do. I help my little brother. He's one of these lower income folks. He's getting started. They're married and they have one kid and they're in their 20s. But I helped him do his taxes. And just through watching him do his taxes, look what happens if you put a contribution into your IRA. It changed his whole taxes, putting two grand into his IRA. And he was struggling, thinking he couldn't afford it. But it, it changed his whole tax outlook. So I, I think you give these people little incentives and it helps, you know, regardless of where you are, lower middle income. I think it's going to move the needle. Let's do one more th- uh, headline for young families out there. Also, this is from Investment News, and this is uh, written by, well, just as Investment News staff, Illinois, Michigan, and Utah, top Morningstar's 529 plan ratings. Morningstar has enhanced the way that it looks at 529s uh, since they started doing it eight years ago, and they've assigned ratings to 61 college savings plans. The direct sold plans of Illinois, Michigan, and Utah received the topper gold rating, which recognized 35 plans as best-in-class offerings. Morningstar recognized those with ratings of gold, silver, and bronze. By the way, 18 were called neutral, which Morningstar said uh, they do not recommend, but which might be worth a second look for residents who qualify for additional benefits like state income tax breaks, which don't factor into the firm's ratings And then eight plans received negative ratings as a result of at least one significant flaw, like a subpart allocation approach or super high fees. They considered four factors now surrounding the process, which includes the choice of asset allocator, the design of a thoughtful glide path, meaning, you know, making the money available. Uh, people, whether the investment manager is a good steward of investment capital and parent, do the state trustee and his partner put education savers first and price, which looks at how they compare to each other. My question for you guys, this methodology by Morningstar, 529 plans, super relevant, something I should spend a lot of time making sure I got one of these three, Illinois, Michigan, or Utah, or should I just put money away for college or is college... Last thing I should think about. Uh, Michael, you're a guest. We'll let you go first there. Here's where I'll be controversial. 529 plans are garbage. 
They just, you don't see the benefit in them. You, the only benefit is the tax deferral on the growth. Most people do these and their kids are going to college next year, so there's no time for growth. I don't see benefit from 529s very often. If you get started young and you contribute big into them, you could see some growth and that could be beneficial to get that tax-free money, but I just don't see that very often. I would like to see a tax deduction for 529s for them to make more sense. For most people, just put your money in a savings account and wait till they get to college and use it for that purpose. Or if you're really savvy and your kid's working, try and have them open an, a Roth IRA and save money there. Uh, that's what I would take a look at. 529s are just, I wish there was more bang to them, but there's really not. Highest cost and fees are the only thing that matter to me on a 529 plan. The other things don't matter much. Paula? See, I disagree. My best friend lives in Austin, Texas. She just had a baby. She had a baby in March 2019, opened a 529 plan that month. That thing was open like the the minute the baby got, I guess I guess the baby needed a social security number or whatever, but like the kid got a 529 plan before he learned how to walk. But Michael, you're saying that's the exception, not the rule. I think it's great that if you're going to do a 529, that's the way to do it. Start mm -hmm. when they're young, right when they're born or shortly thereafter. I think that's fantastic. But most people are not doing it that way, in my observation, because there's no tax deduction. There's no benefit for contributing to the 529 other than the deferral of the gain. I always saw OG competing priorities, right? I mean, to Michael's point, I would always see people, oh, my kid's going to school next year. I was thinking I need to open a 529 plan. And to his point, I kind of agree. I'm like, are you crazy? The kid's a junior in high school. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at it in the, you know, I've got a few years to go and I should dump some money into it, it's probably the wrong time. You got to think of something else. Plus, like you said, anytime that you're inside of high school already, that money needs to be relatively conservative at that point because you need the money. You've got a known outcome and a known time frame. If you can start it early, I would be dumping tons of money in a 529, especially if you're in a state that has a tax deduction. Texas doesn't have a tax deduction, Paula, because we don't pay taxes. So <laughs> you do pay fantastic. taxes. You pay taxes in different ways. Property taxes. Well, everybody pays property taxes, don't they? Right. But it's a little different computation because there's no income tax. Say that again. There's no what? Because <laughs> Paula, getting back to you. Yeah. The, so, no, and I'm just saying like, so every state is going to be a little bit different. And if you get some tax benefits in your state, I think that helps. And I think the biggest mistake that people make with the 529s isn't about the fees and the costs, although there's some really crappy ones out there, like Morningstar says here. It's, it's the fact that they just kind of blindly put it in that god-awful like age-based crap, as opposed to saying... Put it in the market, invest it how it's supposed to be. You got a freaking 20 year time horizon. Get the money invested and and then you will see some benefits. You will see some some tax deferral and the tax free withdrawals because you got two decades to use the money. And if you don't get it in there, like we talk about that, those doubling effects, you want that money to double as quickly as possible. You're not going to get a doubling if your money's in the, you know, age based, I'm 10 years old fund and because it's conservative type of garbage. Get your money in equities. Dump tons of cash into it day one, and then you'll get all the uh, compounding and tax-free benefits that, that you're supposed to get that make it attractive. Well, I found all three of those interesting. Thanks, guys, for your comments on those. But man, lots of, lots of headlines. 4% rule becomes, especially for nerds, right? People overanalyzing 529 plans, people maybe overestimating between or over, over uh, spreadsheeting 4% rule to 5% rule. 
And this idea of RMDs to 75 could be, you know, much more exciting. The the big it's the, it's the trifecta of retirement planning. You can take more and less at the same time. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> that's not a trifecta. That's only two. I gotta think of a third, you need one third more. like that stool. Yes. I, I can't I can't do it. It's the bifecta. Is that, <laughs> is that a word? I don't know if you know this, but this is a crucial time of year for people. Man, back in the day, I had no idea that this is the most crucial time to make sure that you don't get into a bunch of holiday debt. And this year and a year when we're separated from people, we're more likely than ever to just send them a bunch of presents and spend a lot of money. Well, my good friend Belinda Rosenblum and I, we created a course called Making Money Easy. I'm super excited. We launched it uh, for the first time back in February. We're launching it again right now so that you can avoid the holiday hangover. So here to help us talk about avoiding that hangover, it's my good friend Belinda Rosenblum. And I'm a dead shortwave radio. It's my good friend, Belinda. How are you? I'm awesome. Thanks so much for having me back on, Joe. It's, it's weird. I feel like we go from not talking to you and I hanging out all the time now, which I like. <laughs> no, it's been fun. I definitely, my face is hurting now, I'll tell you, Joe, from laughing as much as I do with you. <laughs> we, 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 we tend to just, you know what? We, we entertain ourselves, Belinda. And if anybody else is entertained, that's great. Hey, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> yes. Well, something that's not so fun, though, as you know, is this post-holiday financial hangover. And I know back when I was a financial planner, I would often get a lot of new clients right after the first of the year, and they would come to me with all of these, you know, back in the day, you wouldn't be able to look at it online. You get your statement around January 15th and they go, holy crap, I blew it. I overdid it. And then we end up spending a good part of the next year trying to dig our way out. And as you know, Belinda, from a lot of students in your courses, that that's a difficult place to be. It is because you always feel behind. You always feel like you're trying to catch up something. And that always puts us, I don't know, it's not even the defensive, but it, it puts us feeling less than. Like it lowers our self-esteem. It has us feel like, oh my gosh, I'm already behind. And then that just fuels the overwhelm. And I think that so many people, especially right now, with all the things that we have going on, we already feel that way, right? Yeah. So then part of why we want to do this for you now here in November is to say, okay, maybe there's a different way. Maybe this year we don't have to put ourselves in that behind state come January. And we can actually just with these four simple steps, do something differently and create different results for ourselves. Well, and we're going to do that right now. Like on the Today Show, we're going to give people, we're going to give people a few tips. We're going to give people maybe a more sustainable path later because you and I have a course that we have that people can take, but let's for the, at the very least, let's give people some stuff that they can take away. You say the very first thing to do is almost like, you know, they have these holiday clubs, these Christmas clubs, whatever you like those things, start saving early so that you don't get in a hole later. Absolutely. Because if you, we can't find the money to save now, what makes us think we're going to be able to find it in January? Right. <laughs> because <laughs> so in January, magic would have happened, Belinda, come on. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, right now the races are not happening in January, right? So it's really starting to look now, starting to look at, okay, how do you almost create your own Christmas club? If you need to set up a you know, little online bank account just for your these kinds of funds, great, do that. But it's really having you start to think about, okay, how can I start to find this extra, say 10 to 15% you know, 20% to start to make some changes. And, you know, you mentioned our, our answer, our sustainable change answer. Often we find 500 to a thousand dollars per month for our students when they actually start to look. But most of the time we're so in that catch up mode we were talking about the default, I guess I'm just going to keep spending the way I've been spending that we never change our patterns. And so this first step says, start saving now and start looking at where your money is going now so that we can start to set aside some money before we need it. Like how much more fun would it be to go shopping with money that you already have set aside? What are you talking about? <laughs> Radical. I know. I know. <laughs> we, it's, but it's funny that you say this, Belinda, because I remember and people, you know, are going to groan because I'm going to say it again, back when I was a financial planner, but back in the day and, and OG and I talk about this all the time when he suggests to somebody, Hey, let's just try to save an extra $50 a month or a hundred dollars a month or whatever it might be. People will often go, yeah, I don't think I can do that. And then he says, what's the worst that can happen? You have to stop it. And then you, you know, go back to the way that you are now. He generally, when he gets people to set up that savings for themselves, you know what happens? They never change it. Once you get in the habit of just that money being gone, it stays around. I mean, finding it's even better, but at the very least, just setting up that automatic deposit gets the ball rolling. Right. Absolutely. And so it's often that once we start this new habit or pattern, and then we start to feel the thrill of the money adding up, like, oh, there's 200. Oh, look, now there's 400. Oh, my God, there's six, you know, and we keep seeing the money adding up, then we're going to want to fuel that new pattern for ourselves. But until we take a look, then we have no idea. Then we feel like a victim to yeah. the gremlin that's going out and spending our money every day. Yeah, it's cool how the game changes. It starts off as a stressful game of can I make it to let's see how much money I can keep in my bank account. The second step you have here, though is to set yourself a spending plan for holiday gifts. And I remember, uh, man, I just sound like old guy. Back when I was on TV, I used to, we used to talk about this this time of year now, but it's so important to decide how much you're going to spend ahead of time. Absolutely. Because when you don't, then, you know, and we talked about this a little bit on the podcast that we were on uh, a couple weeks ago, everything feels like impulse shopping, right? When we don't have a plan, when we don't decide ahead of time, who do we want to buy gifts for? Then it's like, oh, I'll buy this. Oh, I'll buy this. And then we forget, oh, wait, I already bought a present for that person. <laughs> I actually already bought three presents for that person, right? So this is absolutely one of the most profitable and valuable tips that I want people to do is to make up a spending plan. You know, we can call it a budget. Some people don't like the word budget. Just make it a plan. Although ironically, plan is a four letter word, but make it a plan that you can give consciously, right? So you don't have to feel guilty about it. It doesn't have to break the bank, but we do decide ahead of time how much we want to be spending. Like who do we want to be spending on? And estimate how much per person we want to be spending on. And then we do have to make sure that we total up that list so that we know what we're aiming for with the spending, with the saving that we're doing now. And then we can line up the spending to match that, right? So that you start to think ahead of time, how will I be able to pay that amount? And this doesn't have to be ugly, guys. I mean, often there are some great deals around Black Friday, and you can build yourself a little fun money into this, Belinda, to, to make sure that you take advantage of those. If you like doing that, just keep it within a number that you decide on ahead of time. 
Absolutely. And I think that it's also a matter of, you know, I'll talk about this at the end, but like just starting to, to get creative with yourself, right. And to start to say, well, how much do I really want per person? And you can even do a range like, Hey, I think this will be anywhere from 30 to $50 for this person. Right. And then give yourself a range and then you'll have a range at the end. And then when you're saving, be like, okay, am I saving towards the top end of my range or the lower end of my range? The other thing too, is that oftentimes you can ask people what they would like. Right. So instead of thinking, oh, I have to go spend $80 on this person, they might choose something that's only $40. This way you're getting them what they actually want. They're probably excited that then they don't have to feel this obligation to go buy it for themselves. <laughs> and it's always more fun when at the end of the holidays, you're like, oh, look, I got all this awesome stuff that I wanted instead of, oh, I got all this you know, crap that I don't know what I'm going to do it now that I didn't want, that I didn't need. Right. And then also you can be more strategic because if they do want something bigger, then you can go in with another friend or another family member and then surprise them with the thing that they really want. And that's, that just creates a lot more joy for everybody. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I'll say this too, one of my favorite holiday stories, uh, Russell and Deborah were clients of mine and we got together and looked at their budget and it was ugly, Belinda, and they had to get it under control. And it was this time of year. And they actually decided, I thought this was radical, but they decided to tell their family that they were going to spend time with them and they were going to have fun with them. But people weren't getting gifts for this year at all, which I thought was, like I said, pretty, pretty radical. But they came back in January and I thought I just helped them engineer the crappiest holiday season ever. <laughs> like I just completely helped them ruin it. They came back Belinda in January and they were so happy. They're like, we had so much fun with the family. It took all the pressure off. I didn't spend all my time shopping. I got to spend time with people because we were serious. We wanted to spend time with people. We wanted to give the gift of being with people. And, uh, and they said it was the best holiday season that they'd had. And divorcing this concept of more money equals more holiday was a wonderful thing for Russell and Deborah. I love that. And I, the other thing that it, it validates and confirms is that the price of the gift you give is not at all an indication of the amount of love that you have right. for somebody or how right. much you care for somebody. Like, oh, I guess I love them more. I'm giving them $50. I'm giving this one through. Like, it's not about that at all, right? It does become those experiences that we have. And I'll tell you right now with COVID, I think that it's becoming more and more obvious how much we need to value the time that we're spending with those we love, especially yeah. when now we just can't do it in the same sort of way that we could do before, because now it's almost like we have to think twice before we go and see our grandparents and do the things that we used to take for granted. Now that we can spend time with those people, it really reinforces for us how important it is to be creating the experiences every day and not to be taking time for granted. Like, oh, it's okay. We'll do that next year. No, it's like, do it now <laughs> because now is when we actually have the time and, and we need to be safe about it, obviously, but that it's so crucial to be able to separate out the dollar amount of the gift and instead create the memorable experience with the ones you love. I'm going to skip ahead to the next one because I think it, th this topic, Belinda, segues directly into this. Getting creative. You know, Russell and Deborah got creative by saying, we're going to give the gift of time. You say you could make uh, gift baskets. You can do some things that maybe don't look expensive, but really have a lot of love packed into this little gift. 
Absolutely. And I'll share with you a quick story for me. So I had a year in between when I left my corporate job, I literally like lived, eat, pray, love before it was a hit movie. And so I, okay, uh, Julia Roberts. Exactly. Hey, that's not so bad. I went to India for a month. I backpacked by myself. I volunteered in Costa Rica in the Spanish immersion program. By the way, I knew no Spanish. So I'm like taking notes with the kids. And I took amazing pictures during all of these experiences. So when it came time for the holidays, I was definitely feeling strapped. I hadn't taken a job yet. And I said, what can I do to be creative? Because I don't feel like I can spend maybe what would normally be $500 to $800, let's say, on gifts. And some people spend way over that, but I think the average is around there. And so I, I took some of my favorite pictures and I created note cards so it was with Vistaprint, I think, and I created different note cards. I put my, the images that I had taken from all these beautiful scenes on the front, and then I packaged them up. So I made nice bows and I thought about the people that I was giving it to. And I thought about the countries they would like better and the images they would like better to send people cards with. And they were a huge hit. Cost me about $125, I think, to do all of them with the bows and everything. I mean, I saved hundreds of dollars and I felt like I was sharing my experiences with them in a way that wouldn't have been possible just by me talking about this trip, right? Now they get to then pass it on and send these cards to other people too. So it's it's getting that you can be creative. I mean, one of my favorite gifts that I ever got for Mark, um, my husband, was a bowling pin because <laughs> our first date we went bowling so i went to the place <laughs> king's bowling alley in boston and i bought a new bowling pin and then i wrote him a note on the bowling pin that's so awesome it, it was like 25 dollars, and it's still now over 10 years later like one of his favorite gifts ever so it's really getting that sometimes the gift that you want to get they don't sell at nordstrom's or staples yeah. or wherever you're going to go get it right l bean it's instead saying what could i put together that where i can bring the love where i can show how much i care about people and i can maybe do something fun and creative that they might not be expecting, but that I would actually really enjoy. And I'm, I'll share with you, I'm not a big shopper. I don't really like malls and stores and stuff. So for me, it's almost more fun when I don't have to go right. <laughs> to these places, right? right? Yeah. To go and, and yeah. even online, it's like I can spend hours trying to look for something and it's not fun. Whereas if I like to bake cookies and I could make like cookie kits or s'mores kits or flowers or baked goods or just do you know, my card idea, just do different things that allow myself to be creative. That's fantastic. Last thing is, and this was my problem. I had to know myself and you say that you really need to know yourself. And if you have problems with, with credit to make sure that you don't have it, is that the point? Well, it's that if you know that you have problems sticking to a spending plan, then avoid credit because then it takes an extra step to write down on an envelope or write down in a notepad or a piece of paper or keep a note on your phone. You just have to keep track of how am I doing against my spending plan with credit. Whereas if you're using an envelope and you put the cash in there, then you know this is how much cash I have and this is what I have to spend, right? So then oftentimes you don't let the sale sign or get this now or get this two for one, you know, buy one, get one free thing. You don't have to let that hype influence your spending because you're more clear. Having said that, I do want you to write down this list. Don't just have it in your head. I want you to write it down, total it up. And then as you buy things for people, 
cross it off, you know, right on there. This is what I bought. <laughs> this is how much I spent so that you can be strategic and make sure that you are getting everybody included and go over that list. Like make sure you're not forgetting anybody. I do encourage you to have a little bit extra because sometimes there's that cousin you forgot about that gets you a gift or you, know, you right. decide that, oh, I really want to get this extra thing. So try and, and put in a little bit of cushion there too. But that if you know that you don't want to rack up the credit card bills and that's kind of what you've done in the past, then maybe we just shift to cash. And so, and even if you are buying things online, then you go and you deposit the cash into the account. If you just use your debit card, deposit it in and clear that. Make sure that you stay on point with what your plan is. We hope, uh, Belinda and I both, that um, everybody listening is able to have a great holiday season but we also want to make sure that you have more than that. And uh, because of that, we have a course that we are reopening. We opened it in the spring. We expected to open it again this summer. Believe it or not, Belinda, there were a few events this summer that happened. <laughs> that, that we haven't opened up since January, Joe. It just was it feels, January? Oh yeah, my it's gosh. crazy. Time flies. Forever. That's why you need to get in and out, right? Exactly. Yes. We call it Making Money Easy, and mm -hmm. Belinda dives in with you on a series of lessons to help you not just get through the holiday season, guys, but learn to make money easy. You learn to make your money multiply. You get money basics. You understand how to have a budget that's sustainable and that works. And uh, Belinda, you want to go over just a little bit of what people will learn if they join us? Absolutely. So, and, you know, this is part of why we, we partner together to be able to share this with the stackers, because it's one thing to share tips, but what we're really looking for is sustainable change for you. And so often we just want to avoid the tracking. We want to avoid managing money. I was just on a call last night with some girlfriends and they're like, it's like, I, I can't even talk to my partner about it. It's like the last thing, like he brings it up and I'm like, oh, I have to go run in the other room. Right. And cut. <laughs> right. Right. And it's like, if you keep doing that, right, then you're going to keep not saving. You're going to keep leaking money, like wasting money. And what we're really looking to do is we're looking to say, hey, if you're making money and we want to be able to start to set some money aside so that you are not working until you die, because I think that we forget that we need to be setting some money aside so that we have a future, right? So that we are, and and I, my instinct is that you probably have listeners who are putting some money aside, but they could probably put more without sacrificing their life. But the missing ingredient is actually creating a plan, just like it was with, you know, avoiding the holiday hangover, right? But what's happening is that we're just living our life day by day. And so the point of making money easy is to teach you how to manage, how to keep, and how to save more this year than every year before. And can I walk through really quickly what we're going to do week by week? So no, let's, can... yeah, let's dive into it. Okay, great. And I was just <laughs> reflecting on this yesterday, like, Hey, you can either stay the way you've been going and you'll just keep getting the same results, right? We know that old adage. And it's kind of like we forget it though. <laughs> it's like we forget that we have control over our spending and we can start to decide things differently. But in the first week, it's finding your money. Like people have no idea how much money generally is going to different categories and where they're leaking money, like where their pitfalls are when they're tracking money, how they're often not including everything, and how they're often unconsciously spending thousands of dollars a year. The mental accounting that's off 
costs you a lot of money on a regular basis. So literally in week one, we share our money-making tracking templates that will help you to identify where is that unconscious spending? How do I start to reclaim it, right? And really start to see where is my money all going? That's number one. Now, number two, uh, week two helps you to live within your means, enjoy your life and build that cushion savings. And I really want to see you maximize that, like optimize it while you're still enjoying your life. It's not an either or. And I think that a lot of times why people don't want to embark on this conversation is because they think that it, if I pay attention to my money, if I start to build savings, it means that I don't get to enjoy my life now. That is not the strategy that Joe and I have for you. It's actually much more one that says, how do you do both? It's possible, but it takes a little, just a little bit of time each month to make sure that you get on that track. So um, in this week too, we really want to help you to know what do you do when your expenses exceed your income? Where is that extra cash hiding? You know, what is your your big why that will help keep you moving forward? And what are those five key areas to stop those money leaks? Because they're there, but I have to show you exactly where they are. Yeah. And you can, you can focus on every single little thing, but it's so much easier to have a spotlight on places, Belinda, that you've seen time after time, after time again, those five areas that are the likely suspects. Right, exactly. And knowing that if we can identify what those are and we can start to make some changes to those and just monitor those on a monthly basis, I'm not trying to have you like pinch pennies necessarily and pay attention to where every single dollar is going on a regular basis. The key is what are the most important 20, 10 to 20%? What are those three to five items that are breaking your budget every month? And so we need to make changes to the other 80 to 90%, which is what we do in this week's two and three. And then I just give you a handful of things to be able to focus on. And honestly, Joe, this just simplifies this whole process of money management and tracking. And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is so much easier than the stress that I was putting myself under before. And so that's what in week three, it's why a plan beats a budget. So then I really want to teach you, how do you get a better return on investment? When do you use your credit cards? How much savings should you be putting aside from your income every month? And like, where do you want to indulge, right? And how do you indulge on those things and then save more on the other things that just don't really matter as much to you? And then four is creating systems because I really want you to have systems so that, like we said, this is sustainable. We can automate certain things as a part of this. We can make sure that our bills are paid on time every month. We set up money dates. And I even give you my organizational system because I find that so many people are very disorganized and cluttered around their money. It's usually a symptom of the fact that they don't want to look at it. So instead, I really want you to feel like you have a structure and just a really easy place to be putting your money every month or even every week. And so I I give you a money date checklist and I give you a super simple five-step plan to get organized. And once you have this, you'll, you can use this for this year and then every year moving forward. I haven't looked back. I've been using this now for almost 20 years. It just works. We have two different levels. The first level is to just go through it yourself. The second is if you really feel like communication with your spouse or a partner that you have that you're planning with, if you want to go through this together, there are some great conversations that uh, you've had with Mark, your spouse, that Mm -hmm. uh, are included in a separate module that we have that's also for couples. The course is called Making Money Easy. 
The URL to check it out is stackybenjamins.com forward slash easy. And by the way, when we say easy guys, this is to make your money easy. I'll tell you who this isn't for. If you want just a conveyor belt where somebody does all the work for you to get this stuff done, life doesn't work that way. I wanted that back in the nineties. I had to put in a little bit of work now to get huge results later and that's what this is. It's a time to be able to not just make it through the holidays, and it's the perfect time to do this with the holidays coming. Get your budget in order, get your financial foundation in order so that you're able then to make big strides later. But you have to be willing to do the work. We we do not make courses that are uh, like some of the things I see, Belinda, online or that are a free 10-step program to do X, Y, Z, and then there's no follow-up. You don't get anything out of it. You pretty much get what you pay for. You waste your time. This isn't that thing. And then second, the other thing I wanted to point out was, Belinda, you actually have coaching, some coaching call time with people individually. You're able to go through these modules on your own time. They're directed so that every week you're on a pace. But if you, whether you work during the day, work at night, have you know, kid duty 24 seven, you can tackle these whenever you want, but it all is moderated and given to you in bite so that you don't have to worry about overwhelming yourself. However, Belinda, they also get some time with you. Right. So to first to talk to your point about doing it on your own time, right? So we, we give you one module a week. So it feels very like, okay, I can do this, right? Sometimes people just tend towards overwhelm, particularly in a topic like this. So we give you each week, you get one module to go through and we have loaded it all into an app, by the way, now, Joe. So we do have that as an added bonus. So if you want to listen to it on the go, easy peasy, you have it ready, literally like at your fingertips during the four modules, you have a Facebook group that you can post your questions to in there anytime. I either write you back comments or I'll uh, be known to record videos to answer your comments so that we make sure that you have what you need to keep you moving. So you'll never feel stuck and alone trying to handle this again. And then I get on live for a coaching call and it's on zoom, our new favorite app. That way you can ask your question to me. We can go back and forth on these have been my challenge. This is what's been holding me back in the past. Boom. I help you through it. And it does not have to hold you back in the future. And literally we're doing that call right before Thanksgiving. So you'll be totally prepared for the holidays as well as um, into 2021. Awesome. And once again, it's stackybedjamins.com forward slash easy at stackybenjamins.com forward slash easy. We're going to have this open for about a week from today, guys. So make sure that uh, you get in here because we are not going to be offering this again until in I year. believe. Yeah. Yeah. The rest, if you want to start off 2021 strong, do it now. So stackybenjamins.com forward slash easy. All right, Belinda, thanks for joining us and helping us avoid the holiday hangover. I'm so excited for everybody listening to be able to help themselves for this year and really be able to set up a new system to help themselves for years to come. We think we have all the time in the world, but literally every day you're not doing this, you're missing out on money that is just leaking out of your bank account. Hey, trivia fans, I'm your favorite neighborhood pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. One of the best parts about being back in Texas has got to be the food. Nothing says the weekend like a plate of great Mexican food. And today just so happens to be National Nachos Day. Weekend, nachos. Now all we need is college football. 
college football is pretty on point for this show because just like college football, we pay our roundtable participants absolutely nothing. The first ever college football game was played on this date in history. So the question is, what year was this game played in? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can go south of the border and throw some delicious nachos in the microwave. All right, Michael, today you're going to be playing on behalf of our contributor, Len Penzo, uh, who has the day off today. Len is leading. So, Michael, you are in the driver's seat with 15 Paula last week roared back to be at 14. And what's funny is Paula wasn't even here for that. And she roared back. Paula, Paula, I think has had some great wins when she's not here. Don't know what that, <laughs> don't know what that says. Well, it means I'm a great delegator. It, 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 it must mean, yeah. Belinda Rosenblum pulled it out for you. She, she got exactly, by the way, the number of what the iPhone cost when it first came out. That was a hundred. Uh, how much was that? Three ninety nine. Three ninety nine. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Paula has fourteen. OG has eleven, which means OG is, gets to guess last. Paula guessed in the middle, and you're going to kick this off, Michael, by going first. What year was the first college football game played? I am going to guess it was first played in nineteen twenty three. 1923 and in uh it, what what state was it played in i'm gonna guess it was first played in new york new york and 1923 paula you agree with that one paula's gotta wonder what is uh what's what, college what's college football? <laughs> a sport by the way that if you ever turned on a tv paula you would see every saturday <laughs> and thursday and, and Thursdays. Tuesdays. Good point. Yes. All right. So I'm supposed to guess a year now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to admit, this one's in your wheelhouse. Let's see. Years. Years are consist of numbers. So I just need to state four numbers. Uh, the first one's a one. <laughs> Guaranteed. Exactly. And it's closest. So I'm going to put some distance from the last guess. And I'm just going to say... 1900 on the dot sure 1901 19, all right mm, and thickens and and just to have some fun paula michael said it was in new york what state you wanted to be in let's go with virginia all right there we go og okay. i feel like to be wrong with this answer would be uh anyways this kind of feels like a little softball-y to me. You might have a vested interest in this one. Boy, I feel like I do. I think that the right answer is going to be 1869. And I believe, I want to say New Jersey, just because we're going for it. All I'm right. Not sure. I'm not sure. Well, we will, we will see. Of course, we'd love to tell you right now, but we're going to make you wait. We'll be right back. Well, I joke about when my sideburns get too long that I have this Martin Van Buren look growing because man, can I grow hair on the side of my head and in my nose. And as guys, so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair from how it feels after getting a fresh cut. Mine is like a fresh cut lawn to the way it's perfectly styled before going out. That takes me right now about three seconds. That's why we get into our 20s and our 30s and we start noticing the first sign of hair loss. It definitely feels like panic time, man. I remember... When those wings started coming, 
I'm like, what the heck's going on here? Let's face it, no guy is ever ready to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Did you know that two out of three guys are going to experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35? Best way to present hair loss is do something about it while you still have hair left. It's the same thing, guys, as anything else. When I got out of shape, it would have been far better for me to not get out of shape in the first place than it was to try to get my shape back later. Same thing with my hair. Saw that coming on. There was no such thing as keeps back in the day. This is, we joke about Len's old guy story. This is, this is my old guy story. You used to have to go to a doctor's office for hair loss prescriptions. Well, now thanks to keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months. So you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Good news too, Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You might have tried them before, but probably never tried them for this price, which is another thing we love about Keeps. Prevention is key. Keeps treatments typically take about four to six months before you see results, so it's important for you to act fast and sooner you start the more hair you'll save. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of the competitors and more than 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatment starts at just $10 a month, plus for a limited time, you can get your first month free. I remember taking my son to get a haircut, and by that time, my hair, the, the wings were already really going back, and I remember Cheryl saying to Nick, hey, Nick, uh, let's go get your haircut so you can look like dad. And he looks up at me and he starts crying. He goes, I don't want to look like dad. And that, it was just, it was, it was, it was not, not great. So if you're ready to take action and keep your hair, prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash SB to receive your first month's treatment for free. That's K E E P S.com slash S B. I got a nice note from listener Jeff just this last week about how much he's enjoying the heck out of Jordan Harbinger's podcast, just like OG and I do. And I'm just glad to hear that he tried it because we think the Jordan Harbinger show is absolutely so fun. And Jordan is one of my favorite people. And not just when it comes to his podcast, he's just an interesting guy to sit and have a conversation with. And by the way, if you listen to Jordan's show, you're going to hear how straightforward he is. He's exactly that. There, there's no difference Jordan behind the mic and Jordan not behind the mic. He asks very straightforward questions. Why do you think that? What the hell are you doing that for? He's, he is one of the most blunt people and in, and in the best possible way because he's so curious. But anyway, I could go on about uh, Jordan and how great he is. But if you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people, you're going to love Jordan's show. It covers a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. ton of episodes, by the way, rooted in how businesses got started or how somebody financially got out of the hole. He doesn't stop there, though. Some of Jordan's latest episodes are, are with Anthony Luciano Ramondi, Mob Enforcer, Billy McFarland, who, by the way, I think did, uh, did he do that interview? I, I haven't listened to that one yet, but I think he did that interview from, from prison. Billy McFarland, by the way, the guy that created that fire festival that just went down in flames. David Shimmer, love that episode. A hundred years of covert election interference. Dan Ariely, 
you heard our interview with Dan Ariely. He's the, the behavioral economist, uh, Dan Ariely. What I love then is listening to Jordan talk to him because Jordan asks Dan a completely different set of questions than I did. So no matter what you're into, there's something for you. I promise you, you're going to find useful things you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just this little slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, Harbinger. Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this show. Michael, based on Paula and OG's answers, I don't know. They seem to think that you're you're a little late to the game, my friend. I may have overshot it a little bit with the 1923. <laughs> <laughs> we, we shall see, though. Paula, you're at 1901. I know that's based on the fact that you're a huge college football fan. Absolutely. I mean, I've got 1901 emblazoned on a sweatshirt somewhere. And, and she's thinking to herself, in those football games, if they score a goal unit... It'll, the game, game's going to go. Get a, if they can get a home run, it would be just amazing. <laughs> be, be, be super. And uh, OG 1869, that, you know, they gave you a lot of room there. I understand, but there's, you get you get triple points if you nail it, right? Uh, I, no, no. Otherwise, Belinda, also, Belinda would have had it. And Roger Whitney, when he was here, he nailed oh, it. That's right. Yes. I, so. I, I also want to add for the record that uh, I believe New Jersey... I also want to say it was Rutgers v. Princeton. Man. All right. Wow. How about that for first? Do not know the final score. Is, 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 I was going to say, is that like calling your shot? Did you just like point just, out there I at the bleachers? Pointed, I'm hitting it out there. Although I'm not entirely sure that Rutgers or Princeton are in New Jersey. But <laughs> Prin- think, Princeton is definitely in New Jersey. I have no idea where Rutgers I, is. I, I do not know who was home in that in that contest. But I believe I'm right on all those. Well, let's, let's hear it, Doug. Let's see, Doug. Pay the man. Bring Amy. it. Hey, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And you know, Joe's mom and I are putting the finishing touches on this absolutely delectable plate of nachos to honor National Nachos Day. I'm sure your mouth is watering just thinking about it. Seriously, come on by and join us. But before you get in the car, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, the first ever college football game was played on this date in history. What year was this game played in? The first game was played between New Jersey and Rutgers all the way back in 1869. Nice job, OG. Football was small time back then, but now the NCAA is pulling in nearly a billion dollars a year on football, which, hey, I get it. That's still barely making ends meet and definitely not enough to share with the athlete to actually do the work. Time for me to go find some sour cream. See ya. What? <laughs> wow. Sorry, Len. <laughs> wow. Len's had enough of that winning, Michael. It, it doesn't matter. Oh, gee. Did, did he nails say that it. Rutgers in New Jersey played? Yeah, Rutgers I think. Rutgers in New Jersey or Rutgers? He and said Rutgers New and New Jersey. Yeah. But it was to, in New York, right? It's, it's also Rutgers played Princeton, but I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. Yes. Who am I to judge the expert at trivia? <laughs> well, you're clearly the expert because now you're only trailing by two. You're trailing Paula by two and Len by three. So nice job, for, OG. For those who uh, wonder, the uh, last year, the officials wore a patch 
on their uniforms that was celebrating the 150th anniversary of college football. Did they really? They did. (laughs) As a matter of fact. Yeah, that might have made it a little. It only took a second to do the math. Might have made it uh, slightly softball-y. It was very softball-y. Thanks. Thanks for that. I appreciate you keeping me in it with eight weeks to go. Thank Doug. If you could do a trivia question about the British royal family. (laughs) I don't know. I watched The Crown. I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on everything that happened. The Crown's coming back on, by the way. Did you see that, Paula? Is it? No, I've I've actually never seen The Crown. What are you do, What are you doing? I know, right? I don't know what you do with oh, your life. What do you do? Do you know what I just finished watching? And this was my COVID project because I started watching this in March. The Office. I have now watched every single episode, all nine seasons of The Office. And you feel way smarter, don't you? So much smarter. It's good I, because that, they're getting rid of it on Netflix in January. So. Oh. See? Well, I'm glad I did that. That was what I spent my 2020 doing, watching gotta, The Office. I got to tell you what's really good. I really like the British version of The Office, too. Mm. I mean, same, quote, characters, but having Ricky Gervais instead of uh, Steve Carell mm-hmm. changes that character. You know, he goes from a little bit um, a little bit weird to incredibly weird and, <laughs> and much more in your face, right, with Ricky Gervais playing that. And then the guy who plays Jim is uh i mean similar but but a lot different and of course uh rain wilson's character uh what's his name dwight dwight yes the dwight on that show is is very weird. you're naughty michael have you seen the british one i have i have it's very good it's very it's painfully good it is they're all so painful to watch <laughs> it is so painful the, the american one's painful but i think the british one's more painful yeah, yeah, it, oh, it is. Man. It is crazy. Well, congratulations, Paula. Welcome back to to what two thousand six. Oh, so speaking of welcome to two thousand six. Now that I'm done with the office, you know what I've started watching. Oh boy, Thirty Rock. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on season one. <laughs> I have to tell you, they still play Thirty Rock on airlines. At least the the last time I flew, they were still playing it. And they were playing these old ones. And I got to tell you, I go back and watch these old episodes and, and I laugh. Tina Fey's writing is mm-hmm. just so crisp. She, oh my. And, and by the way, some of those jokes, Paula, they can't tell those jokes anymore. Mm. There are, I don't know if you thought that while you're watching or. Hmm. As you were saying, uh. Oh, gee, they, they got rid of Cheers from Netflix, and I watched a bunch of Cheers uh, up before they got rid of it. And I remember my parents used to watch that show, and now I'm watching it <laughs> as a kid. I didn't understand the jokes, and now I'm like, ooh, they can't say that anymore. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but it was a great show. Cheers was a great program. It's, uh, we had to explain to Paula what Cheers is so that she <laughs> gets I've gets never it. seen it, but I know it, it's a bar that people meet at, a show about a bar that people meet at. <laughs> Where everybody knows your name, Paula. Right, just exactly. Like, just like here on the round table where everybody knows your name. Hey, uh, guys, let's. I'd love to keep reminiscing about TV shows, but let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney, Michael, you know what happens? You save money. <laughs> he got it. That's incredible. The first person to get it in forever. Thank you very much. Yes, you save tons of money because those financial products people use every day, nowhere near best in class. They rank over 92% of all the products available online at Magnify Money, whether it's savings accounts, checking accounts, cash back cards, reward cards, consolidation loans, student loans, all at magnifymoney.com. Go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. And today we're going to throw out the lifeline to Shane. Say hi, Shane. 
I really like when you guys talk about financial crimes. I was wondering if you could show some love to the less sexy financial crimes like money laundering or check kiting. I'd love to hear some stories about those. If you got them, I'm going to hang up and listen. Uh, thanks for that question, <laughs> Shane. In fact, it's funny that you say that because uh, OG was just laundering some money, putting it out on the. Remember when I was kiting checks back in hot <laughs> six? Putting it out on the clothesline. I'll tell you, we had a great guest on Shane just around a year ago. It was one of my favorite episodes. His name was Chris Varellis. And uh, the episode was December 16th of 2019, so not quite a year ago. And he worked for Bank of America and inadvertently helped people launder money without even knowing he was doing it. Had like no idea. And the dude he didn't trust in the transactions ended up being a trustworthy guy. And the guy he thought was completely trustworthy turned out to be a big time money launderer. And it's just, it's a horrible story. But go back to Chris Varellis, How Money Became Dangerous, uh, last December. But Michael, you know any good stories uh, from the industry of people who were maybe taken out in handcuffs? Yeah, I do, actually. I worked in the banks for a period of uh, years, and it would happen often, more often than you even want to hear about. Really? But people, well, the attempt, the attempt... The way that it happened most often was someone was getting ready to buy a home or buy a transaction and someone had access to their email and then they would, that's when they would strike right in between escrow closing when it's supposed to, wire instructions are supposed to be sent to escrow. Well, they would then jump in and send inaccurate wire instructions for the money to actually be sent to a different account. That did happen. I know of once where that actually did happen. People lost their job because of it, and uh, they did get some of the money, but some of the money was uh, able to be recaptured. Well, there's, then there's been a numerous meetings where there's been attempts that were caught, um, but that was one where it actually did get through, um, and they were just lurking, waiting for this opportune moment to send the email. And uh, that's why they always say, at least in many of the financial institutions, they want you to know your customer, talk to them over the phone, and get, get the, the exact instructions from them directly and verify that it's them, not uh, through email. Yeah, and that's frustrating, isn't it, sometimes for clients, Michael, when people are like, hey, I just want to email you this instruction to send my money, and you've got to tell them, no, I can't do it. Yeah, exactly. That's happened to me explicitly. I don't know if it was fraud or not, but I said, hey, let's just have a quick call and then I'll get it to you. Yeah. And we just have a quick call and it's done. I don't want to take the chance of doing it inappropriately with just an email when it may not have been them. So I've definitely learned my lesson just through the stories I've heard in that case. But there's way more fraud going on now or the attempts of it than there has been, I think, in years. The other one I had happen in my office, the office right next door, an old lady, she's a property manager. She was on the phone yelling at someone that had got her information for the energy bill and said she didn't pay. She needed to go to the store and get um, these debit cards that are preloaded and then read the numbers to pay this bill that she was supposedly supposed to pay. Duh. They had enough of her personal information to make her feel that it was uh, actual real and it wasn't real. Anytime they need those prepaid cards, that is a telltale sign. It is not accurate. Oh, gee, you and I have a, have a mutual friend whose mom got taken by one of these yeah. um, scammers. I, I think that one was the, the IRS scam, right? The one where they call you and she was, she's just a little confused. 
And they made her believe that she owed a bunch of money to the IRS and she took it out, out money and sent it to them. Yeah. If, if they can build enough of a case, right? If they can build enough of knowing enough about you, then it can sound very, very, very legitimate. Each. I go by the rule that the IRS never calls me or writes me. So anytime I get letters from the IRS, I just automatically put it in the shredder because it's totally a scam. <laughs> guaranteed, guaranteed to be a scam. So safety first, people. Safety first. <laughs> there's, there's no way in hell the IRS would ever cut. You wouldn't contact me. The IRS would never contact me. I don't contact you. You don't contact me. It's a mutual arrangement. Yeah, that's, that's the way it works. And Paula, you and I have a mutual friend who, Michael, talking about that house closing, uh, she came on the show, actually, and told her story. Shannon Allen had this happen. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I, I don't remember the details of Shannon's story, but I know that it was stressful and heartbreaking and just, just absolutely awful for her. She got an email late in the day, just before closing, saying, I'm, I messed up the wire transaction. You need to wire it here instead. And it was on the same looking email, letterhead, everything. And when she went back and looked at the email, Michael, it was one, one character was different than what her uh, original instructions came from. So unless you were looking very closely, you wouldn't know. And she ended up sending, I think Paula, the number was like $80,000 she sent to a hacker, to a scammer. Wow. Yeah. Paula, you know any stories of uh, people, you you out check cutting, writing bad checks? <laughs> I don't know any of those stories, but I listened to a really interesting story on Audible. It was an Audible original that was about almond thievery. So apparently it's very common for trucks of almonds to get stolen. And the truck drivers don't actually know that they're doing it. Like, essentially, the scammers will hire the drivers directly the drivers think that it's a legitimate job. They think that everything is above board, so they don't realize that they are driving what is essentially stolen goods. And almonds, like unlike a lot of other products that have a barcode or have some tracking mechanism, if almonds have not been packaged, yeah, of course, if they've been packaged, there's a barcode. Sure. But if they're just loose, then there's no identifiable characteristic. There's no way to distinguish one group of loose almonds from another I can group. T I can tell. I, I mean, if they're from Blue, Blue Diamond, you can tell. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. They come in that yeah. bag. I'm like, that's not a Blue Diamond almond. No way. <laughs> I can tell. So, yeah, so pre-bagged, non-barcoded, just loose almonds, they, they apparently get stolen all the time. There's a really interesting uh, Audible original about it. Wow. S to what end, though? Like, what's the punchline? And that's oh, how I, they I finance drugs in, you know, this, I mean, like, how what, what do people do with a trailer full of almonds I mean, like i got yeah, those I, guys there you've never had you've never had an almond bath og apparently not. <laughs> bathed in almonds yeah I've like scrooge mcduck you just jump off of a diving board and like yeah. wade through. through all your almonds what were you saying michael I'm afraid I've been eating these black market almonds, you know, 50% yeah. less than the blue diamonds. Inadvertently. I thought it was a great deal. Inadvertently helping the scammers. Yeah, yeah. yeah Michael gets his, gets his almonds out of the back of an unmarked van that's parked out in the <laughs> back of the Best Buy parking lot. Hapes, do you want some almonds, man? Hey, why don't you try one, dude? Just see if you like it. Right. See if you like it. It's a slippery slope. It's natural. Next thing, it goes from almonds to almond milk to almond joy. Put, almond butter. You're putting almond butter on your sandwiches, and you're eating it with apples. It's. it's then you're in a then you're in a halfway house. It's a gateway nut. Wondering how you got here. 
Oh, and next, before you know it, all the nuts, walnuts, <laughs> Brazil nuts, pine nuts. And then you got a big mess of pistachio shells and your wife's looking at you like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, I can't help it anymore. My life is over. Shame I've ruined everything. I'm sorry. And then you start having to cash bad checks because I, I used of to your go to nut co- I, I was going to go to college, but then my dad spent it on pistachios. <laughs> <laughs> They're so good. You ever try to eat one pistachio? You can't do it. It's all the effort. It's the effort that you put into it. You're just like, I got to keep going. I think even Shane now is like, that went off the rails. (laughs) Shane's like, not at all what I wanted. I didn't want the almond discussion, but thank you, Shane, for the question. The cool thing is Shane is getting the circus t-shirt. That was a circus answer right there. Uh, so thanks to Shane for calling in, by the way, if you've got a question for us, equally scintillating as Shane's head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and we'll pontificate about almonds, uh, when it comes to your question, that's going to do it for today, kids. Uh, so happy you guys could party with us. We'll let our guest of honor go last. Uh, OG, what do you got going on this weekend? Uh, nothing. We're just having an election day party. Just happy with what happened. Uh, <laughs> so everybody's partying. Let the record reflect we're recording this prior to the election, so yes. that's the joke. Yes, that is that is that, <laughs> that is, is the, the, joke. the joke may be on us, actually. <laughs> we right. don't know yet, but um uh, but anyways, no. Uh this weekend, nothing. Fed had, had a little bit of some work travel earlier this week. Uh nothing going on this weekend. We yeah. do know ahead of time, OG though, that we're gonna be happy the that the uh well that you're it's in, over. You're in Texas, so you don't get all the ads. But it was Where funny. Are you? Well, no, I was just in Michigan doing cat rescue duty, and right. it was funny. There's there's this guy who ran. We don't know if he won or not. Gary Peters uh, against Jordan, somebody or other. But I see a Gary Peters ad followed by an anti Gary Peters ad followed by a pro Gary Peters ad. I'm like, <laughs> the, the, this TV station's cleaning up on this Peters dude. They're cleaning up on Peters. <laughs> that's, that's that's the. <laughs> that's that's the I did yes clean up on Gary Peters Paula what's happening at the afford anything podcast oh the afford anything podcast if you are a longtime listener you've noticed I've fallen off the air for the last couple of weeks but I'm I'm back now we have a PSA Thursday about health insurance we we make it a not political conversation it's actionable what happens if the health insurance rules change? How does that affect you? What actions can you take? What do you need to do? How do you budget? How do you plan? So we have a not political discussion about health insurance, which is, you know, a rarity these days. You can't say that the H-I word, words, without um, triggering some knee-jerk reactions. By the way, I like those discussions the best when you have actually a discussion about healthcare without that. We had Scott Heiser on talking about healthcare. And by the way, it it took us forever to decide to even have him on. Mm -hmm. And once we were convinced it was not political, uh, the funny thing was, though, having having a healthcare discussion without politics coming in, which is the way, by the way, 90 percent should be because because there's so many things that you need to do without the politics involved. Right. I mean, so many actionable things that you can do yourself. But I remember people being, you know, oh, healthcare, And then we didn't talk about politics. I felt like we kind of let people down. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no. Well, you know, it's funny, like on the show, I, I had this guest, uh, Dr. Gleb Sapersky. He's a, a disaster avoidance expert. So he talks about how to, you know, how to anticipate disasters, how to plan for them. Essentially, his whole expertise is planning for black swan events. He made this one casual comment in the middle of the interview. He was like, 
you know, when we anticipate how long COVID will last, like we, we have to run through multiple scenarios, best case, middle case, worst case. So let's say best case scenario, maybe there's a, you know, there's a vaccine maybe by this time next year, you know, that, that most people are vaccinated by this time next year. So things will return to normal, maybe end of 2021, beginning of 2022. That's the best case. And, the, and he goes on from there. And I didn't even think of that as political, but we got all this feedback in our Facebook group afterwards from people being like, the Afford Anything podcast has gotten way too political. I mean, did you hear this guy talking about COVID? And I'm like, wow, where where are we that we can't even talk about COVID? I mean- We're all triggered, man. Yeah. We're all triggered. Everything. Just- Yeah. Yep. Just, I saw that look in your eye. That, that look was just political. <laughs> it was just horrible. Yep. Like you can't say the word COVID without people thinking it's political. I now. know what you're thinking. I, and it's political and it's not cool. <laughs> the election's over, Paula. Ease up. Yeah. No, that's a, that's, that's a mess. But you, but you're doing PSA Thursday. Yes. The, P- PSA Thursday on health insurance, on the not affo- political. <laughs> on the Afford Anything podcast. Michael, thanks for hanging out with us, man. What a treat to be here. Thank you guys. Thank you, Joe. I was, so tell us what's coming up on your show. Yeah, the uh, I'm just trying to share information. The one I'm going to be talking about this next week is all about annuities. You know, Ken Fisher built his whole business on telling people they should never have an annuity. <laughs> I would go to hell before selling you an annuity. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why he was successful telling stories like that. Annuities have things people don't understand. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about annuities, and I do think annuity fits for some people. Sometimes I don't sell them. I'm fee only. I don't sell annuities, but I do think there's one or two reasons why someone should look at them. Other than that, uh, it might not make sense. The cool thing about Ken Fisher, though, Michael, is that he differentiates himself by only charging a percentage of assets. Because according to his commercials, like he's the only one who does that. Right. He's, 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 he, he's got he's this so- amazing thing where we make more money only when you make more money. I'm like, you mean like percentage-based fees that have been around forever? Innovation, Mr. Fisher, you're very innovative. <laughs> Yeah, and his fees are pretty high as well. But uh, sorry, yeah. talking about triggered, nothing triggers me more. <laughs> we don't got to talk politics. Just say Ken Fisher, and I'll be triggered. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I, I'm excited though, Joe. This weekend, I'll be taking my family to the USS Midway in San Diego. So we're oh. going to check that out. It's open, and uh, we got our time slot. So we're going to go check that out. My three boys—they're nine, seven, and five. So Oliver, Elliot, and Ian are going to check it out. And they're really at the age where these ships and boats and airplanes are cool. So this is going to be a win. You kidding me? I'm 52 years old. I'm at the age where ships and boats and airplanes are cool. Like, I'm there with them. That's awesome. And by the way, we'll link to you at uh, Maranatha Financial on our show notes page as well at stackingbenjamins.com if anybody wants to hook up with you, write you an email, or need some help. So thanks a ton for hanging out with us, Michael. All right, that's going to do it for today, guys. Uh, Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable. Revisit your financial plan and keep up on data like the change to the 4% rule, how Morningstar rates funds, and the changes to required minimum distributions. You don't want to play by the wrong rules. Second, take a lesson from Belinda Rosenblum. Creating a budget doesn't have to be hard, and by using one focused system, you can make budgeting both fun and easy. But the big takeaway...
I've been away from Texas way too long. Those jalapenos and salsa are hot. Hot, 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 hot. Who got the milk? Oh, gee. Give me some milk. Just pour it on my face, man. A special thanks to Michael Anderson for joining us at our roundtable discussion. You can listen to Michael's podcast, The Big Idea, anywhere you're listening to this fine podcast. Also, you can find out more about Michael at Marinantha.com. We will have a link to that on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. We also want to thank Belinda for joining Joe today to discuss her class, Money Made Easy. And we'll have a link to her class on our show notes page. Same place I just told you about, stackingbenjamins.com. Paula Pint appears courtesy of affordanything.com and Afford Anything podcast. All the Afford Anythings. Also, if you really want to stack those Benjamins, make sure to sign up for our special YouTube live event, The Stack, on November 10th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll have a link to sign up. You got it. StackingBenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahigh, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on Happy Days. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. Michael, when you talk about being from Ventura, I think I, I was in Ventura last in like 1986. My parents took a trip where they saw everything west of Michigan all in one trip. By the way, do not do that. They saw all of it? Oh, they saw all everything? of it. Everything? We, we did that thing. We got to the Badlands. We started south and then went north. And we got to the Badlands on the way back. And I remember, I remember just thinking as we're looking at this broken earth, I have seen Yellowstone, the Grand Canyon, Fisherman's Wharf, drove up the, 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 what's the drive in, uh, in San Francisco. Lombard Street. Yeah. Lombard Street, uh, went to the San Diego Zoo. 
uh, uh, went to Disneyland, went to Knott's Berry Farm, went to NBC Studios, did the 17-mile drive at Monterey, did the Painted Desert, the Petrified Forest, the Grand Canyon, and we're sitting here looking at broken rock formations. And I remember, you've seen too much crap when you look at the Badlands and you're like, okay, this is not a big deal. And it is a big deal. It's amazing because I was back there a couple of years ago and it's beautiful and it's this great, cool place. But anyway, but Ventura, so Cheryl and I were just there. I was telling you earlier that I didn't say hello because of COVID and we were just headed out to the Channel Islands. I would work for four days and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we would go explore someplace. So we decided to go explore this and it was always national parks. And um, she booked us on this uh, boat tour, which was going to be a bird watching tour. And I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Bird watching around the Channel Islands National Park. And, you know, you leave from Ventura on this on this boat to get out there. And I thought, OK, we're going to maybe hike. Nope. What turned out happened was we were on a boat for 11 hours. Supposedly, that's what it was going to be. But we didn't find that out until that morning. They're like, no, no, you don't get off the boat. We're like, oh, oh, okay. Well, still, we we got so. And by the way, we have these little binoculars that you can use to see like what's in the tree, like right over your head. And then we have uh, we have our regular little camera. I mean, I've got a decent Canon camera, but no lens on it. And I go stand in line to get on this boat, and I notice that everybody around me has one of these cameras, like it's the Super Bowl, and they're the action photographer with the lens that's like a mile long. And they have these like high powered binoculars. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And then I, the woman, two people back says to the guy behind me goes, so how many of these have you come on? Is this your first one? And the guy goes, no, I go on all of them when they have them. And I'm like, all of them. What are you, what are you talking about? About all of them. And she goes, oh, that's great. He goes, oh yeah, we see so many different cool birds and uh, or so many different. He didn't say birds. He said we see so many different species that you just don't see. And they get into this little bit of a technical talk. And the woman says, well, who's leading this this today's thing? And this is pre dawn in line. And the guy goes, so and so. And the woman goes, oh, my God, <laughs> really? He's leading it. And I'm like, I think we're going to go casually look at birds and this woman is super excited that so-and-so is leading this expedition. And then, by the way, she goes, oh, my God, there he is right over there. And he, he comes over. He goes, can I have everybody gather around and still stay, you know, everybody stayed social distance. And, and there was uh, the boat was only a quarter full because of COVID. So everybody had lots of room. He goes, OK, you should have lots of room, but I need to remind everybody to be nice to each other. We've had these trips in the past that when we see a rare, we see a rare species, people push and shove and realize, take your picture and then get out of the way and somebody else can look. And he's like reading these people, the riot act about being nasty on the bird tour. Like what kind of, is this WWE or we bird watching? Like what the hell's going on? And then this guy introduces, he says that there's going to be three other leaders on the trip and they have walkie talkies. And so they're triangulating all over, plus him, and he introduces these people. There's this guy, Wes, this other dude, and I'm only mentioning Wes because Wes is going to come up later again in the story. But then this third guy, who's, who's this guy, maybe 25 years old from LSU, his parents are like these well-known bird people. 
And he is known because six months ago, he uh, discovered a new species of bird. This guy did. And he's not even the rock star on the trip. The dude talking is the rock star, not the, not, not this kid. So we get on the boat and, and whenever a bird comes up, they tell you about the bird and they tell you where it is. But everybody on this trip is such a bird nerd. They don't tell you anything about the bird. They're like, so we're just going out and the captain comes on. He goes, he goes on the right. Uh, you'll notice a bunch of, of California gulls, but they're also, you'll see there is a red footed oyster catcher. And everybody's like, oh, red footed oyster catcher. And Cheryl and I are like, okay, what's cool about the red footed oyster catcher? The only thing I know today is that they have red feet. That's the cool thing. Anyway. So we like assumed knowledge. It, it is. It is. It's just, and I'm like, and, and we have these gulls, by the way, chasing the boat, Paula. Mm-hmm. And Cheryl and I are like, oh, that's fascinating. And somebody told us, they're like, yeah, it's a trash bird. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that just, you see those all over the place. Who wants to see a California gu- big deal? That's not a big thing. After four, no, no eh, maybe a couple hours in. So we get out to the Channel Islands. Beautiful place. How often, Michael, do you go, do you go out to the Channel Islands? I've been with COVID. I've been more than I've ever been because I've gotten into fishing. So oh. I've been there five times in the last two months. Uh, but prior to that, once in my whole lifetime. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's right there. And so many of us that live so close don't go see it. It's the least visited national park in the whole system. It is fantastic. It is very beautiful. I recommend it. I did a kayaking uh, adventure out there the second day. And we hiked a little bit on the island and it was, it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. It was just so beautiful. After like two or three hours, the boat goes into a deep fog. By the way, by then we'd seen a blue whale. That was neat. The biggest whale. And, um, we saw a bunch of different birds, but for the next five hours, we're, we're in and out of fog where it's still foggy, but you can see maybe a hundred yards and that limited things. The fog finally opened up and we made it to the one island in the park, uh, Michael, that's way south of all the other ones. Santa Barbara, maybe? Yeah. Oh, that one's out there. Yeah. So we made it to that one and we went there, Paula, because we were going to see, and I'm very happy to report that we saw boobies. Ah, blue-footed boobies. We saw, there were a bunch of brown-footed boobies, Mm. but there was one blue-footed booby. And of Mm. course, I'm 52 years old, but I'm still, uh, I'm, I'm still (laughs) a teenage boy. I'm like, oh, we're seeing boobies. And we saw three and a half boobies and I'm not sure how that works. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it turns out that one of the boobies we saw was a hybrid. It was a booby made it with something else. But the blue-footed booby was way up on a cliff and I could see its head and an, a guy on the on the boat who was standing next to us the whole time, just this great guy. And he started explaining stuff. Once he realized that Cheryl and I were the two people on the boat that had no idea what the f*** was going on, like we had no idea, he would explain to us why this bird was important, which mm. was really cool because I saw so many neat birds. But anyway, but I still only saw like the top of his head. And I can I can put a picture of it on the show notes so people can see what I saw. I didn't really see anything. It was two days later. I finally looked up the blue footed booby mm-hmm. and how damn cool that thing looks. Yeah. I saw a bunch of blue footed boobies in, Gal- in the Galapagos. That is one yeah. cool looking bird. They are cool birds. It is. It is so weird. So I got to see a blue footed booby, but on the way back from seeing the, the that 
the captain comes on. We were supposed to be back at six o'clock at night for our 11 hour tour to finally be over. And he goes, you know, due to the fog, we're running late. So we're going to be about an hour and a half late. Well, that was before we get about three quarters of the way back and there's a big kelp float. And a lot of the time when you saw birds, they were on these kelp floats and they were eating or they were by dolphins and the dolphins, you know, would go in a circle of faster and faster and would, would, would trap all these fish. And then they would take turns diving through the fish, going through the fish and eating while the other ones kept circling and keeping the fish in. And then the birds would get the scraps. So we often saw lots of cool birds with, with dolphins together. But anyway, we're going along and there's like 200 birds on this kelp float. And all of a sudden, Wes in the back goes, there's a white tip something or other. We're already an hour and a half late getting in and everybody's super excited and they go to the back and, and the captain comes on and you could hear it in the captain's voice that he's not happy. He's like, yeah, it looks like Wes just saw the white tip something or other. So we're going to circle back and see if we can see it. It's going to be like finding a needle in a haystack because there's probably 200 birds there. But f***ing Wes saw it. <laughs> so, 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 so since then, every single time that Cheryl and I have a story about something bad happening, we're like, f***ing Wes. It's too long a story, but, uh, God, it was funny. These, these people were such bird nerds. <laughs> they were crazy. Okay. You know what I did that was screwed up? Thank God I ran the backup because when I went looking for that article, I, uh, I did it on the tab where I was recording this comment. No, wait a minute. I can't be, cause I can still hear you guys. I can't find the tab though, where we're talking. See too many open tabs. <laughs> I, I, I seriously, there it is. That's funny. Okay. All right. The well, too many open tabs problem. Well, sorry for keeping you guys so late. It's OG's fault for being late. It's my fault for being 10 minutes late. It's your fault for being the other 26 minutes. <laughs> want me to extend the bird story longer? So it was want? so amazing. I was, I was just, I was like, please God kill me. When, when do I get to the end of this? Take me nice. now. Take me now. I've heard it all. You should have been on that. You would have been like, hey, dude, uh, it's been 11 hours. No. I got to go. No, no. The minute I learned it was an 11-hour boat ride, I would have been like, you guys have fun. I'm going back to the hotel. <laughs> under, under no circumstances do I do 11-hour boat rides to watch birds. I'll tell you what I found out near the end, though. Th that, you hate 11-hour uh, boat rides. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I would have called the I Coast Guard. The tour plans for now. <laughs> I've been like, there is no effing way that this is happening, dude. My, um, uh, uh, they had a bar in the boat. They, they would have stopped go. serving me. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee that at like 7 a.m., 7.15, they would have been like, sir, it is a two drink maximum. And I would have been like, but I already had the two that you gave me from before. Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to? How am I supposed to get so drunk in order to pass out to actually make this go away? Mayday, mayday, mayday. I just saw the damn blue-footed booby. Give me another one. Yeah, no, that would have I thought when I went to Sleeping Bear Dunes, there's that big sign that says, you know, do not go down here unless you're physically able to climb back up. It's a three-hour climb. 
and they if, tell you the, the, and, the and, fee. And if the Coast Guard has to come and get you, it's three grand. Yeah. And I was like, three grand for a helicopter ride. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I prearrange this? Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.